0: you're listening to the Farside with Founders and Leaders podcast. The podcast that gives you a behind-the-scenes look of some of the world's most amazing founders and leaders, looking at their journeys and how they got to where they are today. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Farside with Founders and Leaders. Uh, I'm Rupert McSheehy and I'm delighted to be joined by Vivi Friedgut, who is founder and CEO of Black Bullion. Black Bullion are on a mission to help young people develop financial skills that they'll be able to use for the rest of their lives. So today talk to Vivi all about how they're looking to do that and how she got into that role as a founder, why she came up with the vision and the mission that she's got. I hope you enjoy so kick back, take off your slippers and have a listen. Hey Viv, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Good to be here.
0: Very good. Yeah, it's nice and nice and cold outside as we've just been discussing. So hopefully uh, we'll we'll warm people up with some hot topic of conversation. Oh, um, nicely done. Yeah, yeah no, a little segue. <laughs> done it well. so, so Viv, I've I've given a bit of an overview as to, to who you are um, before, but if you can perhaps talk a bit more about your sort of background. So as people will hear, you're you're not originally from the UK. Um, no, I'm not. So, if you could tell people a little bit more about sort of you, and um, I suppose where where you got to today by founding sort of Black Bullion.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I do have a mat accent, which I um, I'm very proud of. It it gives off all of my various pieces of history. Um, it's the tapestry of who I am, I guess. So uh, I've been in the UK for coming on 20 years, which is just shocking to me that that's true. Uh, But my background professionally um, is is always in sales, just different types of sales. So, I started my career like leaving university, couldn't get a job in marketing, which is what I thought I wanted to do. Funny how things work out. Um, graduated into a recession. So actually started to work in cold calls, sales on the phone is just the most awful thing. But as a founder, it turns out being able to sell is really important. So I did that for a few years, then decided that I'd come to the UK for 12 months um, that was nearly 20 years ago. So my maths isn't very good. So came to the UK and basically worked for a competitor of that company. So continued to do cold calls, then happened to be at a reception of some description and somebody came up to me and we were chatting and and he said to me, oh, you can sell on the phone. Have you ever thought about the charity sector? Uh, anyway, he headhunted me um, into high, what's known as high net worth fundraising, which is basically fundraising from people who give at least a million pounds a year. And this is selling good feelings. I mean, that's what charity is, right? It's selling people's, selling, you know, stroking people's ego and selling their emotions. And then a few years after doing that, I, again, was at some cocktail something and met somebody who said, oh, you know how to sell and you know rich people. Do you want to come into banking? <laughs> so I ended up getting headhunted into uh, into private banking. Um, and I did that for just under 10 years, which again, banking is just, managing people's money by selling them stuff that'll help them make money so I've always been a salesperson but I've always been very relationship driven I like people most people in fact now I like very few people but historically I've liked most people yeah. um, and then uh, after doing kind of that banking banking jobby and then going through 2008 and watching the world fall apart but rich people being fine Um, I thought, you know what, now's the time to really do what I've always wanted to do, which is financial literacy, for which there was no business um, ever until really after the financial crisis. People only worry about money when there isn't any. So I thought, I'll give this thing a go, it'll fail in six months, um, and I'll go back to Australia and go into banking. And that was seven years ago now. So I failed at failing by setting up Black Bullion, which is kind of the, my proud, my proud legacy. I hope will be the fact that we've changed people's lives through this company. So that's the that's the shortest way I can tell that story.
0: And and yeah, I think it sums it up very nicely. Um, so in terms, you mentioned there that initially starting off by doing a, a role that was sort of sales driven, cold calling, right? And and as you say, yeah, Joe, it's a tough job. And uh, joking aside, you know, a lot of our team, I still get on the phone and do make cold calls to to people. I think people do it less and less these days. It, it really is a skill that that a lot of people don't have because yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't like cold calls. Some people do like them. Some people don't like them. Um, but it, it's it's a way of getting through to, to people to talk to them about whatever it is that you're trying to sell them, ultimately, whether that's a service yeah. or a product. So looking back at the skills that you gained when you were doing that, is that something that you feel is, is important to to sort of, you know, go into when you're going to be running a business to sort of gain those sort of people skills of having outreach and, you know, being able to go out and just, just try and sell?
1: Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think so. I, th- I think it's interesting what you say about people don't really like to do it. And people like to sell by email, Um, except that it's not terribly, it's not terribly efficient, right? You have to send 100 emails to get one person to respond, but you need to make five phone calls to get the same result. So, For me, it's like, why would I waste my time sending a hundred emails and getting one maybe, maybe, when I can do five phone calls and get one maybe under those conditions, just feels a lot more efficient. And I think as a founder, historically, founders have been technical founders. They're people who are product people and they know how to build stuff, but they don't know how to monetize it. There's amazing number of products and companies out there that may have the most incredible, you know, products in the world, but nobody's ever heard of them and nobody's paying them any money. And so To me, the selling bit is actually the important bit. And something I've always found amusing is that there's, you know, on LinkedIn, everyone's got their opinions and, you know, three things to know and seven stuff, you know, seven things you should never do. And one of the things I read was the difference between first-time founders and second-time founders is first-time founders think about product and second-time founders think about distribution. And I wrote back on this. I generally don't respond to these things because I can't be bothered to get into an argument with people. But I was like, actually... Right. Like for every 10 messages I write, I delete nine of them. Um, <laughs> but I wrote back and I was like, no, product founders think about product. Commercial founders always think about distribution. And so I think if you're going to run a business, it's really important to think about the distribution p- channel because you can kind of fake your way through product. There's a lot of substandard products out there. But if you don't have a distribution channel, you're shouting into the ether. So I think it's really important for founders to know how to sell. And you've just got to rethink what you mean by sales sales isn't cold calling most of the time it's relationship building and if you think about it as I'm going to force you to buy something you don't want then yeah you shouldn't do sales but if you think of sales as I have this solution that can help you and I'm going to figure out whether or not I'm right that's a very different kind of conversation
0: right and I think you know if you're talking about sort of sales in that that way it's about having a conversation which is why I don't think that actually Email is is sales. You know, you can't sell on email. It's my no. my big thing that I I say you can you can sort of you know shout about a product or a service that you've got, but you've got no idea if that's solving any problems for for those potential customers because you're not communicating with them. And so you've got um, to have a conversation to do it.
1: I agree. You know what? My favorite emails are the ones saying we've helped companies like yours. We increased Dropbox conversion by fifty percent, and Airbnb, and Zupla, and Lloyds. And it's like we're a twenty person startup. Like you're yeah. not impressing me with, it already shows me that you have no idea who I am. And I would say to people like, stop saying things like that. Like, if you tell me that you've helped companies of my size, then at least yeah. you're through the door. But I've said, well done to cold callers, even if I'm not buying stuff. I'm like, actually, that was a really good call. Like, well done. Yeah, I'm not yeah. buying, but but yeah. well done. Because most, yeah. most people just can't, I always think of sales. And obviously I, I'm, I'm sure we've got a million other things you wanted to cover, but just yeah. to like, just to like make the point, because I think it's so important. If I, want to conv- if I want you and I to go to the cinema, I'm not going to yell at you. We have to go and see this thing. We have to go and see this thing. It'll be like, I want to see this. What do you think? Oh, you want to see that? But what about if we do this? And that's all sales is. It's 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 trying to get to a place where everyone's happy. If I'm yeah. yelling at you going, we have to go see this film, like you're not going to agree with me and we're not going to be friends. So people just have to shift their perspective of what sales means. It's relationship building and it's helping everybody be better off post the conversation
0: agree and and i think especially if you're talking about founders um who are looking to to raise money at some point you have to go out and it's that's yeah. when you have to sell and it's networking you've got to knock on a lot of doors and you know kick back with that rejection that you're going to get lots of people saying no and those are those those product people who've got this great great product whether it's great or not is is debatable depending on um you know the need for it out there but if they can't go and you know sell and raise the money because they don't have the skills to do that it becomes very very difficult and i've i've seen that time and time again with with companies who have not managed to to succeed in what they're doing um because they haven't managed to go out and convince the the right people yeah. to to give them the money
1: A- absolutely and team right bringing people on board when really talented people can get jobs anywhere and everywhere, if you can't sell a vision and you can't sell the output of the work that they're doing in a very real way, they're going to go somewhere that can. So I think in this world where we're becoming increasingly automated and AI is driven, you know, like chat GPT this week, you know, hit a million users in five days, which is insane. The world is becoming more dominated by robots and robotics and AI which means that the only way to win is to be more human. And there's nothing more human than forming relationships, whether they're professional or they're personal or, you know, the, the rest. So I, I would really urge people to think about what is it that you do that a robot can't. And at the end of the day, robots are increasingly being able to do a lot and better. So yeah, yeah. what can't they do? And that's where your competitive advantage comes in.
0: But it's really interesting as well, the the way that you phrase that and saying that it's building relationships because your job in private banking, your job title was relationship manager. And that's a really nice way to sort of put it. You're not there as a, yeah, sales consultant business development manager or whatever it is it's relationship manager which is yeah. a really nice nicely coined term so I think that's something that they've they've got right in the banking world uh in terms of <laughs> the things they're thing. doing yeah yeah <laughs> one thing we're 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 not here to bank bash today that's not what <laughs> this is about no uh, <laughs> it's a, listen,
1: it's the important pipes and plumbing for our entire economy and way of life but they could definitely be doing some things a little bit better no they question.
0: Could good. Oh, I was actually hearing today on the um on the radio that there was something, some legislation that's being brought in to make them accountable for their decisions, their trading decisions. I was like, oh wow, finally. What a great that's, idea.
1: Oh, that's
0: <laughs> I can't believe no one's had this idea before.
1: <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> no me. words. Absolutely there are no baffles words. Me. Um, so you you then so went into private banking, as you you put it, sort of you know, helping, you know, rich rich people manage their money and ultimately get more money right in terms of become become richer um which is a it's not completely different in terms of the sector and the stuff that you're doing with with black brilliant but it's it's different in terms of um i suppose the, the mission is very different ultimately so um going from from that into what you are doing now where was that sort of that epiphany sort of moment where you went i don't want to do this anymore but i do want to do something else that that's linked and that has different benefits to different people.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people talk about like their passion for what they do. I don't have passion for financial literacy. I have like an obsession with financial literacy. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit scary. Um, but the, the kind of the super background goes back like 60 years. My mum's dad, uh, was reading her a bedtime story when she was 11 and he died of a massive heart attack um, while he was reading her a story, which was obviously quite traumatic, but he hadn't, the reason it's important is he hadn't signed life insurance papers when my grandmother then went and kind of looked through the paperwork. There was three children, young children. My mum's the eldest. Um, they found life insurance papers which would have made everything okay and he hadn't signed them which meant that nothing was okay. So my grandmother in like 1950 South Africa had to get a job um, which was not something that women did and it really impacted on my mom and so my mom together with my dad kind of made this decision that their kids would understand money in particular their daughter because women... For all the reasons that have been covered a million times before, women have got an earning gap, a pensions gap, a savings gap. I mean, TSB today launched an emergency fund for women escaping abuse. Like, unfortunately, women are just more penalized when it comes to finan- to the financial world. So that they would raise us very financially literate. And so I had my first pension at 14 because also I'm Australian, so it kind of didn't have a choice. But I bought my first stock when I was 15 my brothers and I all own our own properties. We all invest. We all have, you know, the right insurances, all of this stuff. And I assumed everybody else had the same experience growing up. And of course that's not even remotely true. So I've always been really obsessed with the idea that everyone is better off if everyone understands their money, but there was never a business to be made. And having worked in charities for two years, I was not going down the charity route. So, so it was just after banking, I I, I took redundancy. So I had some money seed capital effectively and I was like I'll give this thing a go so the epiphany was really when I was 10 um and the execution of it was was a long time a long time after that but that was really how I made the transition but I honestly never expected it to work I really didn't I went into it with a spreadsheet of when it failed who gets my plants like literally so yes I was just
0: why why did you not expect it to work what was the
1: because no one had ever no one had ever monetized um, financial education. So there's a number of charities that do extraordinarily good work, um, but they're charities. They rely on the goodwill of companies, sometimes companies that have approached me that I've rejected, that they've taken money from. Fair play, it's not the path I want to go down. Um, but the idea that somebody's going to pay. So universities pay us. Our business is structured around the higher education, further education space, increasingly apprenticeships. So young people kind of, you know, on average, 18 to 23 year olds, universities pay for our service in order to help their students invest in their financial futures. That's a unheard of business model. So it, it shouldn't have worked, <laughs> but it did because actually universities are very invested both for financial reasons and for pastoral reasons in helping their students. And as we hit the pandemic and that got worse, and now with the cost of living crisis um, that's taken off, but there was no indication it would be successful in the early days. So it was really personality based kind of like, trust me, I'm going to do this thing, which they bought into. And I'm eternally grateful.
0: There you go. Your, your, uh, your sales skills coming into to play. straight away. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nicely done. And so, in terms of so Black Black Brilliant, tell, tell us a bit more about sort of what you're you're doing there, and I suppose why you're why you're doing what you do.
1: Yeah, so I do what I do, and we do what we do because everyone in the company joins for mission first because we want to make what we do redundant. We basically want to help all young people to be better with their money, whatever that means for them. We're not a finger wagging, don't drink, don't smoke, whatever. That's not our business. But our goal is that all young people. Have a better handle on their finances to make better decisions for now and for later. And therefore we make ourselves redundant. If everyone is raised financially with the financial education that I was, there would be no reason for Black Bullion to exist. So that's like the ultimate mission is that we don't have to exist. That said, unfortunately, you know, these things don't happen that way. But effectively, we st- I started the business, I was a one-man band um, for the first two years to provide education. So this is what savings means. This is what APR is. This is why it means something to you. What became really clear after spending two years kind of doing presentations on campuses is that people want to get this stuff on their phone and on their laptop. So we became a digital solution around education. Then we realized that universities were using our education as part of their fund distribution on campus. So for anyone that doesn't know, universities give out hundreds of thousands and millions of pounds worth of funding support. So whether it's academic scholarships, sporting scholarships, or emergency funding and hardship scholarships, universities give out a lot of money. And so what they were doing was saying to people, we'll give you this thousand pounds, but... We can also see from your bank statements that you're doing some gambling, go and do this gambling pathway on the Black Bullion website, and then we'll give you the money. But it was really ineffective and really inefficient. And what they were using was like 1980s, like like Excel would be an improvement on what they were using. So we built out a new system, which was a back end funding application system. Sounds really boring, but it's a a proper 21st century, like FinTech solution. And so then it became a case of actually, students are learning about money, and they're getting emergency money, but they actually don't have enough money. So we bought a scholarship company uh, a few months ago, so that we're now building out the largest platform of funding for students in this country. So. Corporate scholarships, university scholarships, um, family, you know, there's families who get left money and who want to create scholarships in the name of a loved one. So we've built all of that out. So effectively, it is a student finance ecosystem. That is what we're becoming from the humble Vivi talking to people about debt. We're now the the student space for money. And that's where we're going.
0: It's very much something that I can see, see a need for if I cast myself back to my uh, my youth and short stint as a student. Uh, yeah, I had no idea about finances you're not taught it in school yes I was you know I was, I was given pocket money I was taught taught to work and you work for your money and you know that was through my through my parents but um, there was no real sort of money management and you know when you get a load of money this is how you make sure you make it last and budgeting and planning yeah. and all those things that as a young person you're like I don't need to do that because well someone else will do it for me um and uh, you just then get to university and you're given this this big fund of of money as a student loan. I think I spent most of my student loan pretty quickly. We I think on our first night we had we got like a limousine and all sorts and yeah, yeah. went out and just yeah. just had great party.
1: fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was party yeah. time.
0: Um yeah.
1: You're but, not unusual. And that's yeah. not an unusual story. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how do you get, um, I suppose, students involved? though? Because, again, I think back to myself and I can only look at look at me when I was younger. But would I have wanted to listen? I don't know. I, I might have just been in that mode of, hey, I just want to just leave me alone. I want to spend my money. I want to party. Yeah.
1: So how Yolo. do you get students
0: involved in it?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, that's always been the biggest, that's always been the biggest um question and challenge. And I think, I, I don't know kind of what, what age you are, but when I was at university, there was no, I'm looking at you and you could be anywhere within looking like a t- mid, mid, 30,
0: 36 I'll give it 36. away. Yeah. So
1: when, when, when we were at university, you couldn't get into catastrophic financial difficulty. It, it just wasn't possible. I, I couldn't sit on my phone in my bedroom and put a thousand pounds down on like the horses yeah, or whatever it was. It, it wasn't available. It just yeah. wasn't there that the yeah. facility just wasn't there and you couldn't access huge amounts of credit and you couldn't go into robin hood and do um and do leveraging like this stuff just wasn't available so we kind of couldn't get into catastrophic debt because the tools weren't there to get into catastrophic debt that is simply not true today so what we refer to as tech convenience this idea of anything that you want to do you can do on tech And technology companies are deliberately trying to remove barriers, right? It's all about a seamless experience and a smooth experience. So you can buy now, pay later for a 2000 pound, whatever, but we make it really easy for you. Well, of course they're making it easy for you because your impulse control can't, isn't being caught up by your brain going, what the hell are you doing? Getting a limousine on your first night at university, right? So you have that impulse issue and this generation of students get that a lot more than others. So because they are much more consumer um, conscious because they're paying for university. So if you're paying money for university and the money that you're getting is not enough, if you're in London, your maintenance loan is covering your rent, but very little else. You're just more conscious of money. The difficulty is what do you now do? So a lot of kids are taught, you know, money comes in, money goes out, try and make sure that it's the same right? Like that's, and that's great. So you don't run out of money every month, but what happens about later? What about investments? What about pensions? What about taxes? What about ISIS? There's 5 billion pounds worth of money sitting in savings accounts that should be in ISIS. So it's that kind of thing that we think students actually want to learn. They're very curious about mortgages and pensions, which is bizarre, right? And credit scoring. So- It's really about being very close to students and finding out what is turning them on and then attaching that to the basics that they need. So nobody wants to learn about budgeting, but everyone wanted to learn about crypto six months ago. So you couldn't access the crypto pathway until you had ticked off the budgeting pathway. So it is about that psychology element. And as much as young people believe that they know everything, because we all do at that age, um, the world is very complex and it's moving very quickly and government's not coming to save any of us. If there's one thing you take away from this podcast, there is going to be no public pension by the time we retire. You're going to have to be so poor to qualify for that pension that you're better off just wondering how you get enough money together. So we're in difficult times and they're going to get worse. And people are starting to understand that with the cost of living crisis and inflation. So they are more motivated than one would think. And we work with 50 universities who are investing in their students. So the universities get that it's important and hundreds of thousands of students do as well. So I'd like it to be all of them, but one thing at a time.
0: The thing about pensions, um, I don't think a lot of people realise that. Yeah, it it really it won't be there, which is which is almost certainly the reason why now it's compulsory to in the UK to, to yeah. offer a pension to to people because they know that there won't be one in by the time we're at retirement age, which will probably be about 80 by the time we're there. Correct. Because we'll Correct. have to keep working to, yeah. to keep feeding money back into the system because exactly. there isn't any money. Um, exactly. which, which is a scary dark and gloomy thought but it's the truth ultimately. It is
1: but but also forewarned is you know you can plan if you know what's coming right? And yeah. I think that one of the biggest failures of government is not being honest with people about public finances. And of course part of that is because people don't understand. I mean the word inflation for most people didn't mean anything until it started to ramp up, right? But if if government was more honest about what it looks like then people could be in a position of saying okay what do I need to do for me to make sure that I'm okay? And I'm constantly amazed by people's idea that government will take care of it. But at the same time, we all believe that government is fundamentally not great at what they do. So there's this huge cognitive dissonance, And I think people need to be honest. If government, if government suddenly like, I don't know, strikes whatever 21st century oil equivalent is, and all of a sudden there's huge amounts of money, then we're all fine. But if we're not all fine, then do you want to be the person who's sitting at home in the cold under a blanket, eating baked beans out of a can? Cause that's, that's what we're talking about. So, you know, yes, that sucks, but reality, you know, it's like not getting a, it's like not getting your, you know, exams for cancer beyond certain ages. Cause you're too worried about the results. Like I get it, but it makes no sense.
0: You need to look at what's in front of you, right. Exactly. And, and exactly. Be, be be honest about it all. And, and I think that um, from everything that I see about younger younger generations people coming through now they i think they are a bit more open uh, about everything and whether that's the, the pro the pros and cons um yes. sometimes so but but they they tend to be more aware um and perhaps because you know every everything's at their fingertips like so they you know they yeah. can they can find everything instantly you know they know how to access information that that quite frankly um it was it was there when we were growing up, but certainly before the generations before us it wasn't really there. And even for us, yeah, you had to go to a library and you know access information there. So um, <laughs> they yeah. still exist? Libraries? Are they still around?
1: They do. I love libraries. I love, love libraries. When my parents first moved to Australia, it was a choice between a television and the Encyclopedia Britannica. And they chose the Encyclopedia Britannica because that's my kind of family. I mean, do people even use encyclopedias anymore because you've got Google, like what on earth would you even need that for anymore, right? You had like a paragraph about, you know, the brain. And today there'll be like 800 million references on Google. But distilling that information into knowledge is something that I think is lacking because people are- you know, like, I just want it in 90 seconds. I want to know everything in one tweet. And actually life is far more complex than what can be fit into 280 characters. So we do, you know, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and, and I guess that's also, um, you yeah, know, a big benefit of, of uh, a product like Black Brilliant because it's also gives uh, people that sort of educational point that's a, a reference point as opposed to Google where you've got so much choice, right? You look at Google and actually it's well, it's great you can type anything in and get any yeah. answer you're looking at you know 10,000 results you're like oh my god which which one do yeah. i look at which one's right and everyone's got a different opinion of of what should be done so having a central source for information is really important to help give people guidance um and i suppose that's yeah. what you're what you're trying to do as well
1: that that's very much our hope google is overwhelming tiktok is not reliable so it. it's it's a question of if we can be, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy to say it, but if we can be a place where students know we are a source of truth, where, you know, where, where people who are experts in this particular space by all means go to TikTok by all means, you know, check out Google, do all of these things. But if somebody says something on TikTok that smells a little bit funny, come back and check if what they're saying is right, because, My concern about this kind of growing body of influencers is it'll be people who are selling like protein shakes one day and, you know, cryptocurrency the next. Like, just be really careful. There's a reason why experts spend their lives becoming experts on a field. And, the thing with TikTok, in particular, which is where a lot of young people, obviously, spending a lot of their time, is that there is there are no barriers to entry. So anyone on TikTok can talk about anything, and if they've got a big enough following, people assume that they're knowledgeable. And that's that's never been true. You know, Mick Jagger might be great at singing, but I'm not sure I would trust him with building my house, right? So, uh, you know, experts are experts for a reason. Follow the experts by all means. Get get thoughts elsewhere. But also get educated yourself because fundamentally, you know, you're the only one that knows whether you should be investing in crypto or not. Nobody else can tell you that. All we can do is tell you what it is and what are the risks and what are the potential benefits. You have to decide if it's the right choice for you, yeah. which of course is not easy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, which is why people like me stay away from it all because I go,
1: <laughs> I, I don't
0: understand. <laughs> There's too much else going on in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and,
1: and that's, and that's great. And like, it's funny with crypto, but if, if you're talking about like investing in pensions and saving, right. then all of a sudden what happens is you wake up when you're 40 and you go, shit, I've only got, oh, sorry.
0: Beep. You sw- no, it's okay. it's okay. We're all
1: good. Okay, thank God. Um, you know, I've only got 25 years left of my working career or 28 years or 30 years if we got, how do I make enough money to then potentially live another 30 years without an income? Yep. And that's why the sooner people start, I always say just open a savings account, set up a standing order for 50 quid a week or 50 quid a month. Just do that because then a year later you're like, Oh, actually I can afford a hundred. And obviously that's not everyone I'm talking at a certain level, but, but if, if people who can afford to look after themselves do, then there is enough money to look after the most vulnerable. If everyone needs help, there's not enough money for the most vulnerable. And that's the problem.
0: Yeah. Which is, which is absolutely right. And I, I think you're talking about all those, all those things that you don't, don't know about. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that my wife is a financial advisor so I've there got go. an, ex- an expert yeah. uh, there to, to tell me how to do all of these things but without that then you don't have you don't yeah. have you know the the know-how and the knowledge so um yeah absolutely spot on in terms of what you're doing to try and sort of guide guide people to, to do all of these things and if you're looking at so some of your your journey and you mentioned that you know you, you didn't think that the business was going to work and you were fully prepared for failure but what have been some of the biggest challenges in um building a a business that as you said hasn't been you know the type of um type of sort of industry hasn't been monetized before and getting it to a point where you are monetizing it you know what what have been the challenges that you've had to overcome
1: yeah I mean I don't want to play the woman card because I get really annoyed by it but but there is a woman's card um it just it just is factually the case Um, only one percent of women ever raise venture capital funding, so that's you know we're we're in that one percent. Um, but it's but it's hard. You talk about rejection, right? Like we had seventy one rejections just for the round that's happened, and it's our sec third round. So wow. of small of small amounts of money, and it's always been small rounds because very difficult for women to raise large amounts of capital. So, but the woman the woman kind of stuff aside because I'm kind of bored of the narrative. <laughs> like I really am. Right? I think yeah. women. Well, I think women need to, we need to just acknowledge that this is a problem and just get on with it. So I'm kind of put. and if anyone wants to yell at me about that later, like, feel free to shout at me, like it's fine. Yeah. Um, but, but some of the, some of the other challenges are education is a very slow moving beast. So I was actually at, at an event last night and, and somebody who I very, very vaguely know kind of said to me, you really should quit and just go back into banking. And I was a bit horrified. Wow. Um, yeah. Bruce I can see you. <laughs> but yeah, nice. To see. Literally haven't seen this individual in several years. And 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 they thought that they were like being helpful, right? They were like, I'm just giving my guidelines. Like, yeah, you can just you can just piss on off right now. And it's because education moves very slowly. Like, we have half of the universities in the country as clients. And there are companies that are five times as big as us who's been who've been running for five times as long, who've got half of that. So actually, by education standards, we've moved really quickly. By biotech standards, we've moved really, really quickly. By fintech standards, we've been really slow. So it really depends kind of where you're at. And the big challenge is universities are very slow-moving creatures. They really are. We've been trying to get them to buy into a vision which has never existed before. Being a category creator, which is really what we are, is really hard. Like, don't do it unless you have to. So that's been really challenging. Money has always been a challenge. Like we make money, companies pay us for our service, uh, universities pay us for our services. And we, we, we we are backed by investors, but I've never been one of those companies where it's like, oh, we're just going to hire 200 people next week. And then the financial crisis hits and we fire half of them. Like. Yeah. So it's always been a case of being really capital efficient, being really careful with how we spend our money, which of course has massive pros because it means you solve the problems. You don't just throw money at it. Um, The other is, although I started my first business when I was six um, and my second business when I was eight, um, I am a first time founder by all intents and purposes. I'm a sole founder. Um, It's very lonely, as you know, like this job at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. All of these cliches are true and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, It's, you know, you can't, if you're having a bad day, you can't fall apart in front of your team because at the end of the day, you're the leader and you want to lead them to, you know, the promised land. And if you're falling apart because somebody last night told you that you're rubbish and you should quit, you can't bring that to the team. Like you just can't. So I find the the loneliness of it and I'm surrounded by people, but all alone, I find that to actually be one of the biggest challenges. So money, fundraising, well um the education sector is really tough if you don't have people around you who'll turn around and go that guy's an idiot and here's the reasons why this it's brutal it'll kill you it really yeah.
0: will you're absolutely right as well about yeah being a being a founder I think most most founders of businesses they work incredibly hard they work long hours it's not like it's not a glamorous uh, glamorous lifestyle by any stretch of the imagination no. Um, you know, there's I always, you always use them, poor old Elon, but you know, n- not many founders are like Elon Musk, you know, where they're rolling around in private jets or anything like that. It's, it is, you know, your, your sort of your hand to mouth a lot of the time, you know, month to month. And when you're having a, a shitty day and you want to just hide under a duvet, you can't because you've got stuff to do and you've got a team that need motivating. So you can't just book that day off to have uh, have a duvet day, like 100%. being an employee, might do of a you know of a company that you know a lot of companies out there are, are very uh, aware of their employees' mental health and mental well-being, but it's often the founders that are not looked after themselves.
1: Hundred yeah, percent. And I just I had a board meeting earlier in the week, and one of the one of one of the one of the board basically said to me, he "Goes, you're brilliant at looking after your staff, but are you looking after yourself?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine." Yeah. I come off the call and I'm like am I fine? Like I'm looking around my house and it's an absolute tip because I haven't had time to tidy. And I'm like, actually I'm, I'm like not looking after myself 5% of how well I'm looking after my team. Mm. And you know, there is this vision and even Elon, let's not kid ourselves. Elon is working 18 hour days. He doesn't have to, but there's no glamour in this role. And I met somebody last night at this event who has just exited and I was like, oh, are you living the life? And he goes, no, I'm working really hard for my earnout rates. Like there's this, aura around entrepreneurship, which is like, first of all, work-life balance, what a bunch of crap that turned out to be, you know, work-life balance and you building something meaningful and that's going to drive you at three in the morning, all you're thinking is why didn't I take that job at JP Morgan? <laughs> right? Like, like that's the reality of it. And it's, and when you are somebody who is you know, a, a high earner, I mean, cause this guy said to me, he's like, you could walk out to the market and you could be sitting on a four, five, 500 grand a year job because I would pay you a half a million a year to join my company. And I'm like, but I don't want that. I don't want to yeah. work for your company. I want to build my company. But there is that moment if you're honest with yourself where you're like, what am I doing? Like I'm, no. you know, I'm earning less money than a, you know, a, a child in Vietnam sewing Nike shoes with all of this stress, with all of this exhaustion. And then you're like, because I if I don't do it, who's going to solve this problem? And you have yeah. to have that as a founder. Otherwise, otherwise do take that job in banking because it's not the money or the glamour and it's not the potential exit that may come in a few years time if I don't solve this problem no one will and there are millions of students in this country relying on us to get this right so I'm a bit Pollyanna about it but that's kind of I'm kind of screwed I don't have a choice I have to take this all the way and solve the problem
0: yeah and I'll have a heart
1: attack in the meantime
0: but yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well keep, keep keep going but do look after yourself because you're the person who's driving it all you need yeah you need to still be there to drive the team uh, I'll thing? come off
1: this call and go straight to bed and have a yeah. duvet
0: day. Hey, take five minutes, even <laughs> j- j- get more caffeine. That normally works.
1: That's great. That's why is the answer never have more caffeine and chocolate? The answer is always cut out coffee, get more sleep. Like that's not helpful to me.
0: No. No. <laughs> no. More sleep isn't possible because if I go to bed early, I wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> and then I can't sleep. So it's it's a merry go round. Stop it with the more sleep. I'm thinking
1: of some poor person listening to this podcast going, I really want to be a founder. But now that I've listened to these two, like I'm just going to take a regular job.
0: I think I've probably put people off before. Uh, You know what? It's
1: a public service. It's a public service. This journey really isn't for everyone. It's not about being better or worse. You have to have a kind of the ability to fall down and stand back up again. If you don't have that. And if you take this stuff personally, just don't just don't put yourself through it. It's not worth it. If you, if you're not going to enjoy the journey, 71 rejection sucks. But I stood back up for the 72nd and, and it's yeah. literally, I'm not even being hyperbolic. It's literally 71 rejections. Like yeah. you, you got to just keep going. And if you don't have that in you and a lot of people don't, and that's okay, don't even try. Cause you'll just burn out. You just, yeah. you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I think let's say it's not for everyone. And that's why not everyone does it. I think again, a lot of younger people, uh go and they they sort of they want to have that feeling of, sort of starting something and building something from scratch which is great but go and my advice is always go and go and try it first go and work for someone learn some skills develop grow it's not you know not saying every, not everyone can be a young founder and entrepreneur because there are plenty of people out there who have got it in them to go and do it but you know most of the time go and go and sort of test out the employed world um and find out what it is that you really want to do by doing that before Thinking about I need to start something and need to do something for myself.
1: Oh my God. I, I I literally could not agree with you more. Like the the most straightforward, predictable path to a financially stable life is to get a good job, to get promoted every few years, to spend less than you make, to put that money into savings, put that savings into investments and just you know, retire at 65. Like it really is the most predictable path to financial security. It just is. And any number of my team have said to me, you know, I always thought I wanted to start a business, but looking at just how much is involved, actually, I just think I'd rather work for startups and have that buzz, but without the responsibility. At the end of the day, my team clocks off. I never clock off. It's a seven day, you know, it's a set. Anyway, I don't want to, and by the way, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like I love it. I really could quit. And I really could go work for this guy for half a million pounds a year. Like I really could. But I love what I do. Like I don't know why people need drugs if you do a business. Like yeah. you have all the highs and lows that you could ever need by doing something yeah. like this. Literally, but it's definitely not for everyone. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. The lows are pretty low, but the highs that the, the, the legacy, you know the legacy that you potentially are creating is is you, you don't get that any other way. There is yeah. no other way to create that. So I think it's an extraordinary journey, but with that comes extraordinary difficulty and extraordinary complexity and an, an extraordinary burden and, and you know, difficulty on yourself. And if you recognise that and you still feel like you need to do it, then do it, 100% do it.
0: And so as a, as a final note, what's next for, for BlackBillion? Where, where do you take the business from here?
1: Well, 2023 is going to be a bigger year than 2022, which is already giving me heart palpitations. Um, <laughs> but we have got a um, about a half a dozen major releases coming out. But the main big picture is... That we are gonna we're gonna create the largest database of funds and bursaries and and scholarships in the country for young people. Um, anyone who's listening to this who who wants to kind of get involved, please do get in touch. We want to have a hundred million pounds worth of money available for young people to be able to you know supplement and complement their their educational period. That's really exciting. That's never been built in the UK before. So again, category creating that's fun. We're also releasing a handful of big tech products. We've got. A handful of new company, uh, new um, universities that are coming on board. Um, so it's just gonna, it's just gonna be a big year. And the financial crisis, the more it, it sounds terrible, but the more the financial crisis bites, the more people realize how important getting their money sorted is. And so we're getting two, three calls a week from companies saying, "Can you just do a, a presentation for our staff about basic finances?" Which is really how I started the business for students. And so expanding into the corporate space, um, you know, may well be something that we see coming, but the year is already mapped out. Like I'm already exhausted, like for 2023, but I can't wait. It's going to be a buzz where it's still hiring people and growing a team as its own challenges, but also wonderful. So um very excited. You'll be hearing a lot more. Anyone who's never heard of us before, you'll be hearing a lot more about us. And then we've got this product with the Bank of England and Pearson to put our product into schools, um, which I haven't even mentioned, which is uh, which we're, you know, which we're increasingly investing in. So that's exciting as well.
0: Amazing. I have no doubt that you will make best of it because, you know, Thank failure you. is not an option, as we discussed. You will you will keep going. So 2023 will oh, be well. a really good year for you guys. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more more of you guys out in the market and uh, hearing about the success that you, you have breaking into to some of those sort of categories so thank you be good
1: I appreciate that thank you from your uh, from your mouth to the good lord's ears <laughs> so I appreciate I appreciate that it's going to be a it's going to be a great year we've had a pandemic we're done with that exactly we've got, we've got a war. We'll move on
0: good stuff now <laughs> that's all we need time
1: to get on with it but thank you and thank you so much for having me on it's been really fun
0: thank you for coming Viv